here is above me. It's not a problem or anything. Nothing wrong with the background. No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. And then I'll come back here and edit this out. All right. Uh, good evening, everybody. I'm here with uh, Jacob Williamson, who is a candidate in for State House in District 40, I believe. Yep. That's a great Tonight. I'm glad to have him on. Jacob, how are you, man? Doing good. How are you doing tonight? I'm not bad. Um, so, uh, well, uh, you're, uh, what, 20, 21? Uh, 21, yes. What makes yeah. a 20 year old want to jump into a race for the State House of Representatives? I mean, most of y'all are going to clubs and parties and Party. stuff like that. What's that you want to go to think you found my number? Well, uh, you know, I've always been really interested in politics and, uh, you know, coming from a pretty small community, um, you know, I care a whole lot about that community. And, you know, I, I could just go to Tuscaloosa and, just, you know, I go to Alabama, I go to the University of Alabama, and I could just stay down there and do what you just described, what most students do. But uh, it seems like a major waste of time. And uh, uh, really what motivated me to run is a feeling that I can actually do some good for my community and for my constituents. Um, and I honestly think that a young person, a 21-year-old, 20, has more reason than most to want to be involved politically because you know, if you look at what's happening now, the consequences of the political decisions that we're making now are going to be felt the hardest by people my age because we're going to be the ones that are trying to buy homes or trying to build families or careers in the economy and in the system that we're working on now. So. You know, that's that's sort of what motivated me to run. Um, and, you know, another thing was just timing is it wasn't necessarily that I said I'm, I'm going to run right now. You know, we my the incumbent representative is retiring and uh, he's done an excellent job representing us. And I felt like it was, you know, felt like everything had just lined up right. So you mentioned uh, buying homes and buying the economy back. Um, I don't know. 20, 30 years ago, Birmingham was called Pittsburgh South. Uh, we had all the things necessary to make stuff. Drive through Birmingham now, it's a ghost town with things that are shut down. Uh, what kind of jobs would you be looking to try to create for this upcoming economy? Well, statewide, we can see a whole lot of industrial jobs sort of coming back. I mean, and we're starting to see it now because we have, compared to so many other states, a pretty friendly business climate, particularly in hiring employees i mean we're one of the few states that has no minimum wage um state you know mandated minimum wage and you know it's not that all these businesses are coming here and, and paying ridiculously low wages but they recognize that this is a state they're not going to get taxed to death if they do move their operations here um like smuckers and you know this is just to name a few recent ones but what really you know what i think we have the most opportunity for in my district are those sorts of, of you know, blue collar and skilled jobs like that, the, uh, you know, manufacturing and, and things of that nature. And, you know, especially in Cleburne County, it's a very rural county. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for development um, in that county, and that would bring new opportunity. So especially in Cowan County, my district covers Jacksonville State University, um, the basically the, the very commercial areas of Oxford. And, you know, those two places are really the economic powerhouses of County or Jack State and Oxford. So, you know, I think that we really just kind of need to take what they're doing and expand it. Is um, the Aniston Army Depot and uh, Fort McClellan, that's in that district too, right? 
That is not in the district. Um, it stops okay. right right before it hits Fort McClellan. The district stops on Highway 21. Uh, actually, I think it might stop a little bit while back now that they redistricted, but it did stop right before Fort McClellan. I think they may have pulled it even closer back to Jacksonville now. But, uh, okay. but a lot of people that worked out there or you know, do work in the Anderson Army Depot, they do live in the district. A lot of them are still very affected for it, or affected by what goes on there. Well, she still has, she's got a lot of retired military that probably living up there. In oh that yeah, area. yes, a whole lot of retired military. Okay, so you walk in there on day one. What's the first bill Jacob's going to introduce? If there were one thing that I feel like we should be looking at as a state, um, it is really time for. It's probably going to be the grocery tax. And a lot of people don't realize we are one of three states in the country that still apply sales tax to foods being bought to be prepared at home for groceries that you're going to take home and cook. You know, not fast food that most states still apply sales tax to that. But, you know, if you go out and you buy you know, fresh produce or fresh meat, most places aren't going to apply sales tax. Alabama is one of three states that do. And, you know, at a time when our state government is taking in record revenue and pulling in record amounts of money, um, it really seems like now is the appropriate time to finally get rid of that. It's, it's an unnecessary burden, and uh, you know, I think that's something that everyone can agree on, especially considering our state passed the gas tax and, and now gas prices have you know, gone through the roof. Um, I think it'd be, and a lot of grocery is increasing in price. I think it'd be a good sort of relief to a lot of people. Uh, you're the first person I've heard mention that. Um, I didn't realize it was it was only three states that tax food and medicine, but I knew it wasn't. We weren't many. Uh, I thought that'd be an excellent idea that would yeah. uh, help you know everybody a lot. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm sure you've been following politics for a while. It sounds like it. Yeah, we got a Republican governor, Republican legislature. Um, how, how come they can't seem to get anything done down there? Well, there's there's a couple reasons. Um, and you know it depends on your perspective really what you're going to say that most people would uh you know some people say they get, they get a lot done and they a lot gets talked about and a lot um a lot of things get done but they're not the kind of things that people really expect to get done and a lot of times they aren't really communicated you know we're we're still trying to get constitutional carry in the state um things that seem like no-brainer uh issues legislative issues for a Republican state like Alabama with a Republican trifecta, you know, it should be pretty easy to pass or, or often a lot harder to pass than you'd think. And one reason is I think you have a lot of people that get elected and, you know, fortunately in Cowan County, we had, we had pretty good representation in terms of people that showed up and did their jobs. We had, you know, Kale Brown, who I'm running for his seat, did an excellent job. Obviously, Del Marsh um, was Senate pro tem and did a whole lot of work in the state government. But, you know, they, they have no staff. They have no, you know, they're, they're not required to have a, a legal background necessarily in terms of, you know, being familiar with writing legislation. Um, so a lot of it's really just left up to them. And because of this, you see the majority of legislation being written by a small group of legislatures are producing the majority of legislation. And, you know, as a solution, I would say we just elect people that are dedicated to actually writing and passing legislation. Um, but you know a couple other issues are that it's it's very difficult once you get elected to sort of balance all the different interest groups it can be a challenge sometimes if you're someone who got elected and is sort of relying on the support of various 
groups throughout the state you know there's plenty of lobbyists down there there's there's and they're all willing to uh to come in and tell you what you're doing wrong and what you don't need to vote for and why you should not vote for this and you know i think a lot of them just they don't want to step on toes you know so one thing that i noticed and i'm not sure why uh, it's, it seems like our legislature they get caught up in too many hot button issues and still don't get it passed like you mentioned constitutional uh, carry i think it was last year they got locked down for two months on uh, uh transgender not playing sports which i figured that would pass in 30 seconds instead we're spending two months on that and and we got way yeah. many other things we worried about um, do you, do you have an opinion on why they get so locked down on that? Is it, or is no, that's kind of, no, a, that's kind of a tough question and more of an opinion, but it just seems like they just get locked up on this so they argue for two months. <laughs> well, the, the process is not, to be fair, it isn't meant to be entirely efficient. I mean, it is not what anyone wants to hear, but, you know, to a certain degree, the tension and the conflict that arises when they pass legislation is sort of to make sure that no legislation that we aren't certain we want passes. Now, I think that that has too big of an effect oftentimes in that, you know, like you said, legislation that we all are in basic agreement over ends up being a central point of contention. And we, it, you know, it ends up stalling any other work on, uh, on other pieces of legislation and addressing other issues. But, you know, I think that it's really one of those things that if you're not there, it's probably not something you can diagnose. It's probably not an issue that's easy to diagnose if you haven't been in the room because there's there's so many things that can cause it. I mean, you got to think it's 140 people down there in total, and uh, the 35 in the Senate, and you know you've got 105 in the state house. So, and then you you've got a number of Democrats, but you know even getting 55 people to sit together and agree on something. It can be a it can certainly be a challenge especially when you know 20 of those people can have one group calling them and telling them to vote against it because of these reasons or to amend it for these reasons and you know we see a lot of that going on so a, a good example is the the lottery bill you know in the state senate it was not the the democrats that stopped the lottery legislation it was the republicans the democrats also voted against it um, at the last minute guaranteeing that it was going to fail uh, for their own ridiculous reasons, but you know there were just a, a certain number of Republicans, and they had said their constituents reached out to them, and it's not that they were against the lottery; it, they were attaching the lottery to gaming, um, which to me just seems like something you should separate because it'll be easier to actually legislate and pass. Um, and you know those those six senators had heard enough from their constituents that they uh, they weren't going to pass the bill. You know they they it's safer to do nothing a lot of times than it is to do something and people get mad so the, the incentive is, is usually on on just you know not doing something it's smarter though because i mean i like the, the first time the, well the only time the bill ever came up to vote in the state of state was in 99 i believe i voted against it and the reason i voted against it was because governor Sigmund promised 85 or 95 percent was going to go to education and Everybody's gonna go to school and play and I look at it and it's like a pyramid. It's going down and everybody had their hand. Not one of the commercials was lottery, not this lottery. Well, I'm looking at uh, 
every state around us has some kind of gambling. Our dollars are going there. I mean, let's just bite the bullet. I mean, people get yeah, mad, they'll, they'll get over it. I mean, the the last way they were the, the last bill that they was that they had proposed the one that got voted down, um, which was, you know, really, it, uh, Senator Dale Marsh, our state senator in Calhoun County, he had a, a, a pretty big role in it, and um, you know, it was mainly going to fund broadband internet expansion and um, education with the two things and I felt like that was the completely appropriate um, those were two very appropriate things to fund because you know the the two things that I think everyone can agree on are some some basic governing responsibilities of the state are probably increasing broadband access uh, broadband internet access to keep us you know sort of competitive and you know, keep our communities competitive and you know, stay economically competitive at this point. It's just basically a necessity for any business to want to set up somewhere is that you have decent internet access um, and education. It's another essential area. Yeah, you know, something that is also true about education, though, with with the lottery at least, is that I don't think the lottery is the the guaranteed fix to education. I think that it can help funding for it, but you know, in the state of Alabama, we've just continued to sort of throw funding at education for a while now and it hasn't improved yet. I think if we want to talk about education, we really have to talk more what we do in terms of, you know, not just dollars spent, how we actually change education, how we actually improve the education system. And, and it's worth mentioning, mentioning also just real quick that, you know, the, the last education budget that was signed was the, the biggest in Alabama's history. And, um, you know, now kay has got her, her pre to three program, which is, focusing on education from pre-K to third grade, which, you know, we've got one of the best pre-K programs in the entire nation for, for many years. It's been ranked one of the greatest. Um, but somewhere along the way throughout high school, throughout elementary school, I'm not, we're not sure where, uh, things are going wrong. And those those gains that are made, you know, the, the, the it's not as effective as it is in pre-K. Our pre-K program is much more effective than our high school programs. So, you know, I think we really need to start looking at what we're doing in regards to education rather than just how much money we throw at it. So yeah, that's an interesting answer. I never don't think I've ever thought about that. Because uh, when you said it, my mind started clicking, but I remember, you know, every year hundreds of millions of dollars being thrown to it. And I think at one time we was actually ranked 25th in the money that was spent uh, on education in the country and we're, we're still ranked last. Um, uh, have you thought about what the answer to that is? I mean, how you or what, what, what's happening? So this is something that I would I would absolutely you know want to speak to more educators about and more people across the straight state because you know, this is speaking from my experience and what I see locally. Um, one thing that I've noticed is you have a lot of people that just go to school to go to school, uh, and it's it has become it is in recent years it's become increasingly easy to just show up and pass and then graduate with your diploma. You know, in the past you had registration or um, graduation exams. I'm sure that when you were in school, I don't know if they required graduation exams then, but um, you know, eventually they did away with those because you had people who couldn't pass the graduation exams. And I, I understand why people were opposed to graduation exams, but at the same time, it you need some way to make sure that these people are not just going through and, and learning nothing. Uh, because otherwise we're, we are wasting the money and we wouldn't expect it to get better. So something that I think would be an interesting solution or something worth considering at least is it's not necessarily bringing back graduation exams. I don't, I'm not proposing that because I don't think that 
the only benefit of schooling is just learning the content you're being taught. I think that you should probably have a couple of different paths to travel down. Um, and luckily this is something really popular right now is expanding trade school. Uh, I would say that we need to expand trade school and you know, trade school opportunities. And, you know, in Calhoun County, we've got an excellent career tech program. People can go for, um, for the, the medical career tech pathway there and they can actually by the time they graduate, if they stick through it through you know 10th, 11th, or 12th grade, then when they graduate, they can take the EMT exam and graduate a certified EMT. Um, and that's you know a, a very marketable skill that they have. And then we've got a fire college program or an early fire college program basically for seniors. And you know that's something I think we should look at expanding to law enforcement. Um, I think that would be a very, very, you know, have a lot of potential there for benefit. But you know, basically I believe that students should either be taking college preparatory courses or, or even college courses because um, that's you know that's what i did I'm, i'll be graduating with my undergrad at, you know in three years rather than four because i took you know, 22 hours of college credit in high school um throughout the years and it was incredibly beneficial to me i think that's something that we should we should increase that but people should be either taking college preparatory courses or, or getting college credit they should be in trade school um, jrotc is an excellent pathway to actually getting somewhere or uh, if you don't want to do any of that, if you don't want to you know, learn a trade, if you don't want to get ready for college, or if you don't want to you know, get ready for the military, then I think maybe that would be everyone, whoever's left, whoever is doing none of those things, I don't think it's wrong to want to check and make sure that they've actually learned something from their high school experience. Um, since they don't want to actually try to develop a skill necessarily or focus on getting into college or preparing for college, I think that, uh, you know, it's not wrong to say, well, okay, then if you're going to graduate, we're going to make sure you learn something. You're going to make sure you, you gain something from this experience. So, you know, that that's one, I think that'd be one useful benefit. Yeah, it's interesting you said that about trade school, because um, I don't hear people really push that anymore. And uh, when that was put through, I mean, you get a lot of opportunities. People, I was, had an interview with um, Chris Woodsrand from Mayor of Birmingham, and he pushed that utilize that more where when the students graduated each of them i think he said learn two trades and i thought well yeah that was that's a brilliant idea because if you have a trade you're making a lot more yeah. money and a lot, you know money and poverty go hand in hand yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're gonna have more uh crime screen and, and that, that was uh that's pretty good idea because i've heard uh, a, uh, a friend of mine he was arguing back and forth and he said something about some somebody uh somebody being a plumber and I said well I see more vital that uh, or electrician I said the electrician or the guy Starbucks with a PhD in philosophy communism because uh, yeah. yeah they're not we're not putting enough emphasis on that and there's a lot of jobs um, that people could have uh, let's see so we talked about education oh yeah uh, um, something I've asked every one of these candidates uh, for different offices and um, when is Alabama, we've already passed the medical marijuana. I mean, when are we going to step up and just legalize marijuana and tax it? I mean, there's a lot of money out there. There's a lot of money, but I'll, I'll tell you this. I think that that is something that for Alabama, we are not there yet. I don't think we're at the point where it would be responsible necessarily to to legalize that for market sale at this, at this moment. Um, because... You know, first off, the federal government has sort of failed in this endeavor um, because they've 
kept it, you know, illegal at the federal level. Now they've said that states that legalize it, they won't enforce that policy or they won't sue the states. But, you know, just because they're not actually pursuing legal action against the states doesn't mean that there's no consequences. You know, the national banks, a lot of national banks won't work with um, businesses that are engaged in what at the federal level was a crime. So, you know, it's, it's really hard to to invest money, to get small business loans, to do anything like that. And what you see in some of these other states is, is you know, a lot of these people, they think that it's illegal now. I'm going to pursue a, a career as, you know, a professional marijuana, you know, salesman. And they try to open a business or they open a farm and it ends up causing a lot of economic cost. It, it, causes, it causes a lot of a lot of problems because realistically the society is not ready yet for it in terms of and not because they can't handle it because the institutions aren't ready to handle it yet it's not something we've entirely worked out there until the federal government decriminalizes it then it's 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 unfeasible feasible for the states to totally legalize it and make money out of it. yes yeah now states can make money out of it they, they can tax it but it, it again it isn't that the states can't tax it it's that it puts the people who get into that business in an unwinnable situation, basically. It's, 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 I think it'd be dangerous to do that at this time. Now, you know, we've got the, the Medical Marijuana Commission or Medical Cannabinoid Commission right now headed up by, um, what's his name? He was the former Treasury, Macmillan, I think, yes. maybe? Former Treasury Secretary. Um, and he's, you know, I think that what they'll do is they'll They'll look at that some more and kind of, I'm, I'm sure that'll kind of continue to shape the conversation in the state. Um, and another thing is, I also don't think it should be legalized without going up to the citizens first. Now, I think that if the legislature were willing to, to legalize it, then the citizens are, are most likely definitely at the point they would legalize it. But it's still one of those things that is such a, you know, it's an issue that affects people at such a kind of an individual level that I would just like to put it up to the Alabama voters um, just to be sure and you know, just to be sure that they are they're supportive of it you know because again but, this isn't sorry go ahead somebody brought up an interesting point about something like that to me the other day that I never thought about um, and it probably wouldn't fly but he's actually had made a good point he said he didn't want to say it go before the Alabama voters because we're not a democracy. We're a representative republic. So you sent your representative there, and if you didn't like it, you take it on that person. So, uh, you know, and we have. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. All right, go ahead. All right. So, you know, should, you know, so every constitutional amendment you think we should put before the voters? Because I'm, I'm looking at stuff down there sometimes from Pickens County, uh, you know, tax on their hogs down there. I don't know what's going on down there with yeah. their hogs. Yeah, I think that uh, I think most local issues and issues like that, you know, they should go before the voters. Um, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but you know, it's kind of like finding a balance. You know, yeah, we're we're a republic, and that's the point of having the legislature is that you have people to actually go and make laws, and you kind of need a balance between, you know, letting the the voters express their clear support or you know, disapproval for a certain piece of legislation and um, actually representing them as we do in a republic, you know, speaking for them. So are we there as, as voting delegates for the the 
constituents or are we there as sort of more trustees like we're we're caretakers of the state and they've just trusted us to make our decisions and like i said it, it requires a balance of it and on the issue you're talking about the balance would be i think that any attempts to legalize it should go before the alabama voters but when we have to create a regulatory system for it that's gonna have to be done in the legislature uh any sort of the, the regulatory system for you know what happens if it is legalized what happens you know if we if we were to legalize if we were to expand medical marijuana that's something that would have to be handled in the legislature because we can't ask the citizens to vote on such such particular you know issues you know how should this uh regulatory agency be be structured you know that's not something we really leave up to them but the bigger question the the larger question which is should this be a legal substance in the state i think that's something that they can understand and they can handle pretty easily um, the specifics of it are what would probably need to be left up to the legislature so and that, that's sort of my, my position on it it's a pretty good, interesting answer right there um this gas tax uh how does how did they get what i mean nobody said anything to them about it they just passed it and, and, and i mean how do they get away with that I mean, I'll I'll tell you that. sorry go ahead i was gonna say as much money as they're bringing in now they're gonna raise it you know and raise taxes on there I mean, i'm raising a lot of cane with my life <laughs> yeah that was um I, i'll say it's something that was not supported by a lot of my constituents and um, a lot of people that are in my district and a lot of them voiced those concerns uh it was just it was one of those things where if you're in the legislature i suppose you had been hearing something that made it seem like a better idea and and look i'll admit this i'll admit that there are roads that that needed to be repaired across the state that i don't deny that my question is is how dot using the money in the most effective way you know i know a lot of people that are throughout the state and work some of them work with how dot um but you know it, and a lot of those people understood why so many people were opposed to it because you know really the way aldot funds projects i mean you know some people don't necessarily feel like they're they're appropriating that in the best way um and another thing is you know most people in my district they're they're at a pretty standard in, income so their income isn't going to fluctuate depending on the year or with the market or with cost of living or anything like that so when the gas tax goes up and they have to spend you know an extra five eight ten cents a gallon at the gas pump because of the state of alabama um that is just more money they don't get to spend anywhere else that's just more money out of their pocket they don't get they don't they're not going to get a cost of living increase in what they bring home because the gas tax has gone up they're just going to get to bring home less of it um and that's really probably the biggest reason i was against the gas tax is that you know it was not incredibly beneficial for people in my district um it just it was putting them in a worse financial situation and besides the, the timing hasn't been the best i mean i guess you could say it's been good and terrible because on the one hand they would never have gotten the gas tax passed after gas prices have increased like this um there, there's there's no chance that that has enough support even from legislatures i believe to pass if they were to try to at a time like if they were to go into next session trying something like that because gas taxes are already so high but on the other hand you know on top of the spikes we've already seen we've got a gas tax there you know imagine what the gas prices would be a couple cents lower across the state if we hadn't passed the gas tax now i'll also say in Cowan county we've had a lot of road work getting done 
um, we've had a lot of roads repaired. It's been very frustrating as a as a commuter and as a, as a traveler, but it does it is nice to have nice roads. So, you know, there there are benefits and downsides to it, and that's really the the decision you have to make, or that's really what you have to consider whenever you make any legislative decision. But you know, sure, I'm sorry, it made me think of a funny story I got of our legislator. There was something where I forgot that was going to be extra, extra money to counties with so many people in it. Our county fell like 2,000 above the minimum threshold. We begged and pleaded and, then, you know, begged the legislature and they just ignored him and passed it. I was like, man, I would have shut that place down. I would have let sit around the Bible from front to back. I would have filibustered every bill from there. <laughs> I mean, there, no, if, you know, if they didn't help me on that, I would have, I, mean, I would have shut the whole legislature. There, nothing would have got passed. And I still mad at him for that. But that's just my personality, though. I would have. There's no way y'all would have. We would have gotten anything passed from you know the next twenty. Why should have me out? Um, so uh, uh, the next question I had, I'm not talking. So my mind was talking about the gas tax. And, uh, I should have even went into that. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, state, um, the state income tax level. I mean, we have the lowest in, 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 in or still some of the lowest in the nation. Um, we're, we're, have you ever looked at how much we're bringing in on that? I mean, I was looking at some numbers the other night just on our state figures as you were talking about. There's an unbelievable amount of money that nobody's accounted for. <laughs> I mean, I've yeah. got stuff that, you know, Two million here, five million here. I mean, why is nobody looking at money? Well, you get a whole lot of, you know, funding gets spread out all over the state, and there's always people applying for grants or applying from, from some sort of aid. But it, there is one, the one benefit to Alabama, to our, they're one of the benefits to sort of how our, our legislature and our government is structured is that we have a balanced budget amendment. The budget has to be balanced. We cannot run up a deficit. So, you know, there may be money missing um, that can't be accounted for. It's certainly not acceptable. However, I also think that that's something that the legislature is probably not adequately resourced to to stop um, or to to deeply interfere with. That's, that's a state auditor's. That would probably be under the state auditor's purview. Um, under the um, state finance director, the, the auditor, they, they have basically stripped the auditor of all their power. They audit like how many textbooks, how many um, school buses. Uh, like, not, not, actual, not actual raw numbers. Not yeah, actual yeah. raw numbers. Okay. Yeah, and they and when I called to find out about that, that they said, well, there's different comp fillers. I said, so what, you just got 50 checkbooks out there and everybody's writing checks? I mean, because, you know, there, there was a lady the other day, I was reading about, she stole a million dollars of COVID money from, from there. There's uh, money missed. There's, I forgot what the number, the figures have suddenly disappeared, but there's so much money missing from the first round of COVID money. The money that was going to build for federal prisons is gone. And now they're taking this, and we still, I don't know if they spent it yet, but we had $800 million. Or, or, they had not even spent yet. Well, I'll say that one issue that's that has sort of shown its face since this whole coronavirus uh, situation has been, you know, has started, um, is 
the amount of money that the federal government has just sort of thrown out is, you know, the situation you're describing where we have unaccountable money is much worse, I would imagine, at the federal level um, with the amount of spending that, that we've gone through. You know, at, I mean, I know that there was a small business in, the, in my hometown uh, where, where I grew up that they had a they had a number of issues where people were trying to claim unemployment because they were having the unemployment benefit bonus that went on way too long and then luckily we're one of the first states to stop that um one of the first but not the first but we stopped that pretty early compared to a lot of states but um people were saying that they had worked there and that they had gotten fired or they had they'd quit and uh they were trying to get that those unemployment benefits and uh, the store owner had to repeatedly, you know, contact the you know, Department of Labor and let them know that you know these people have not worked here. They they are just they're trying to scan the system, and that's something that you see a lot of, and you see even more of it when there's just money everywhere. Um, you see a lot more attempts at, at fraud. So, and that's well, they were people. I'm sorry to make catch up. Uh, they were giving people money through the payroll uh, protection thing. I mean, to, to, I know somebody got twelve thousand five hundred dollars and not even work. And I'm like, you know, you're just throwing money. Well, they're not throwing money because you know people think that uh, they're getting this money. All they do is create inflation because they don't make free money. Okay, <laughs> they're, uh, they're, you can't sure fine. Yeah, all the other money just has less value when we throw out free money. Really, it's just you're devaluing the currency. So, and yeah, that that's a total another uh, a whole a whole other problem right there um, that the federal government has caused, basically. You know, because you know, and and we all we saw we see this in every legislature. You know, whether it's Congress or whether it's the state house and the state senate in Alabama, is people. Are very re- people can be very reactive in politics. So they want to just get something done, and I think a lot of the coronavirus relief funding bills, even the packages, even the ones that were were passed when Trump was in office, you know, in hindsight, it looks a lot more like okay, maybe we could have done without the insane number of stimulus checks we received. Yeah, you know, it it's, seems like it's much more clear in hindsight that we overreacted. Um, gave money to you know more to British citizens than her yeah. German citizens. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I don't know if you've actually the, the numbers that, but I've looked at it. It's just absolutely furious. They gave uh, thirteen million or whatever to nonprofits, uh, faith-based, and uh, three. I think three hundred fifty million to UAB. And don't get me wrong, I, I know UAB helped a lot of people, but they're not hurting. But now we've got states or counties that cancel their hospitals because we're not funding Medicaid. Well, what, oh, yeah. What's the answer? Well, one thing that we can do there is is open up and and really get more expand rural healthcare access. That's basically the issue. Is that if you're in a very rural area, you know, in Catlin County, we're pretty fortunate to have Aniston RMC here, and then we've got there's Gaston Regional Medical Center in Edgewall County, just just right up the way. But um, you know, it, other than that, there's not a there's not that many large hospitals just very accessible if you're out in um, Fruithurst or Edwardsville, which is right. a very a very rural area to say the least. So I think one sort of an easy short-term solution at least is to try and get more clinics uh, in terms of just doctor's offices, more health clinics, our aftercare clinics are very beneficial. Get more of those set up um, because you know people can go in there, they can at least get 
you know, see a doctor for if there's an emergency or, you know, get some kind of uh, help or assistance. And if need be, they can go to a, a larger facility. They can be, you know, driven by ambulance to an actual hospital to, for treatment. But, you know, what I would say is because it's never just easy to build more hospitals. That's certainly not a... Building more hospitals. I mean, we've got to move this fixing the clothes because we're not properly funding through the Medicaid system here. I mean, we're, we're throwing money. Uh, it, like I said, I have no problem with you, but UAB's not hurt. You know, they're getting plenty, no. of, <laughs> plenty uh, of money. Was, and sorry, another issue, I wasn't even aware of this, and I don't even know how many people have seen this, but uh, I guess they're retiring, but we're going to have a major problem with uh, dentists in rural areas. That, 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 no dentist there and i don't know if you've ever had a toothache but man there's nothing worse than that well i'll tell you i spoke to a guy um a gentleman from from dothan i want to say who was working on trying to open a, a dental school there a dental program there and um you know alabama this it shocked me but not as much as it probably should uh, we are 52nd i believe in um dental health in the in oral health in the uh in the nation and you know it was shocking, but it's also like, okay, this is just another area that we could really use some improvement. And one of the reasons is, it, I, um, I believe that at that time we had the one dental program uh, in the state. We had the one that he had, he had come from. Um, but there's not not incredibly many opportunities there to uh, to really go into that area of medicine. And it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty good one. And like I said, this, somewhere, so this is something that in Cowan County we are fortunate again people don't realize Cowan County is, is the 10th biggest county in the state. So a lot of these problems that these very rural counties face aren't really problems for Calhoun County, but you know, other places, Cleburne County, these very rural areas in Cleburne counties in, in my district, um, that's something that we can improve there is really helping get more of those opportunities, more private doctor's offices, more dentist offices, more, you know, just, just things like that. And one thing that'll really help bring people out there and in, into those kinds of counties is because you know, counties like that, they, they have similar issues typically. They don't have, they're very rural. They're not necessarily developed commercially or anything in across the county. You know, maybe they have a few economic hubs, but it's not widespread. And, um, you know, often you see that they, they don't have widespread uh, broadband internet access. And, you know, even cell phone service is something that in a lot of these places you you can't even get reliable cell phone service and just being realistic it's very hard to convince businesses um doctor's offices dentists people that are professionals to move out to these very rural counties and set up businesses or and, and establish a life there if they don't even have cell phone access when they want their cell phone service when they walk outside you know that's you, you've got to we've got to make it we've got to create an environment where people want to move their business you've got to create an a environment that is open to economic development and open to you know people moving in or people staying in that community honestly it's not even about people moving in you just need to get the people that are graduating that community to, to not all leave and go somewhere else you know because if, if they're looking for economic opportunity you know a lot of these people they're going to places like you know Huntsville places like Birmingham um, to even some degree Birmingham Birmingham's nowhere near what it was as you said but the top of job in Birmingham has really shifted there's a lot more sort of white collar jobs there. It's not the industrial machine that it once was. 
52nd. I did not realize Alabama was uh, ranked 52nd in dental care. I mean, uh, that's, um, hmm. I mean, I, you know, yeah. you still could say, thank God for Mississippi and Arkansas, but we can't even say that. No. <laughs> that can't even be thankful for the territories with that. So, not the territories, but I've heard that. Uh, you know, when you said that about Birmingham, um, I think in 1970, um, there was uh, Atlanta and Birmingham was about 350,000 people. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, Birmingham is below 200,000. It's now yeah. the second state. Um, you know, the, the only thing there is keeping it up is UAB. Uh, we've, we've lost um, you know, uh, the, some of the banking system, which we was the hub. Uh, but I know that's, that's not your district. It's tech, technolo- technolo- or tech, technical jobs, uh, like yeah. in Huntsville. We're looking at uh, expanding those more, trying to get you know, there, because we got Boeing here. Um, and I think there's a lot of opportunity to expand those. Um, you know, we've we've got several high quality universities in the state of Alabama. We've got a lot of resources that I don't know if they've been fully utilized yet. It, it doesn't really seem like it. And, you know, we've got UAB. I saw the other day it was listed as the eighth largest hospital in the nation. And for Alabama, for the state of Alabama to have the eighth largest hospital in the nation, that is an incredible, incredible you know, benefit to our state. Um, and most people don't even realize that, you know, we just kind of not going to say take it for granted, but it, it isn't appreciated. And I don't feel like it's fully, we, we aren't really using it to our benefit. The top 25 hospitals in the world. People don't realize yeah. how great yeah. Well, and it's the same with, you know, Auburn is an excellent engineering school. It is an excellent uh, agriculture school. Alabama has an excellent engineering program and it you know, also has an excellent law program, which really uh, I think that the lawyers aren't providing the, the, they're not really what I'm worried about with getting more of them to Alabama necessarily, where the state's not going to economically collapse because we run out of lawyers. But but still, you know, we, we've got a lot of opportunities here. UAH, you know, they're they're getting a number of military um, contractors. I saw where some of the new hypersonic uh, missile technology, there's a researcher in UAH who's going to be working with the military on um, some of the, the fuel uh, injectors or uh, fuel, some, some kind of new fuel or innovation there with hypersonic missile programs uh for you know the military and those are resources that i think we can continue to utilize and another thing that people don't realize that honestly won't be seen for a couple years in mobile you know a lot of the money that some of the money that we we're bringing in with the gas tax is being used to supplement the um some some federal money that was given to us to dredge the uh the port at mobile and make it a, a deeper, deeper water port. And, you know, when that's completed, that is going to bring in a significant number of, uh, of jobs there. You know, we'll, we'll have a, a pretty good amount of people shipping things down uh, through Mobile. And, and you know, especially right now, it's, it's a great time too. It timed up right great because you look at what's going on in Long Beach or in, in California where, you know, they, they can't get these, um, I think they're called longshoremen, something of that nature, what they call the people that unload the docks. You know, the, they, the unions just run those states. And, um, you know, they're not allowed to work in 24-hour shifts or, or, you know, they're not allowed to keep going. They, they resist automation or anything like that. And Alabama is a state that's not going to do any of that. We're, we're going to give businesses the opportunity to be as efficient as possible. And, uh, you know, I think that 
in you know 10 years we'll see the port of mobile is is one of the most active in the, in the nation you know i think it'll be a very a very central um shipping hub so but you know again it, it, like i'm saying there's a lot of there's a wide variety of areas that alabama can bring in professionals to work in these industries there's a lot of industries that alabama really does have a good business climate for and um we just need to spread that throughout the state really we don't need it centralized in in so many just a select number of, of areas you know alabama and i don't even know if there's a way to advance this further or capitalize on it um, i'm sure somebody a lot smarter than me could think about it but you know we're one of the top in fishing and and game and hunting and then we have the top golf courses in in the state um or in the united states and i feel like we we utilize to try to uh, build on that um and you know it's funny that you should mention that because that, that is something that uh i think it's the hoover institute um recently released a report uh and condoleezza rice helped on it on um alabama and you know alabama innovation i think that's what it's the alabama innovation uh committee or uh, the, the committee on innovation but basically they're looking at ways for alabama to utilize its state resources its natural resources in the future and one thing it said is that you know we have the most biodiversity as a state out of any state we are in many ways the amazon of america you know the our river system is one of the greatest in the country we have like you said some of the best fishing some of the best hunting i mean it, it really is a, a beautiful state and uh, one thing they, they the report recommended was increasing tourism um and uh you know sort of interest in people from the outside coming to alabama to experience the outdoors and that's something we could market a whole lot more and you know i don't know um if you're familiar with uh like lake gunnersville gunnersville state park for instance it's a beautiful state park and i'm sure there's a, a massive amount of people that enjoy going there you know we used to go all the time when i was young before the tornado did some damage in 2011 but um there's a i remember the massive amount of people that used to go there and, and camp all the time and that we have you know we have tons of resources and, and areas across the state that we could develop and use in that way um but we haven't yet we haven't really been able to fully capitalize on those i mean yeah, in my district we have chial state park um and it's a it's a beautiful state park it's the largest mountain and the tallest point in alabama and uh you know if things like that we really need to figure out how to sort of modernize that you know how we need to when part of it is really just getting the word out it's just advertising to the world that we have all of this here you just need to let people know that is here um and another thing is you know like jacksonville alabama i represent them and something that they're doing as a as a city and it it really I, i'm a big supporter it's a great initiative and it's genius that they're doing it is they're they're taking old signs and they are uh, remodeling them or redoing them like the um the metal historical signs and putting them up in in old yards or uh like places that supposedly have some sort of haunted past or something someone will say they saw a ghost there maybe it's just an urban legend or anything but but you know that they'll put up a sign there and say you know that this is a, a well-known area for this reason basically to try and encourage people to ride around the area and look at what all it has to offer and the idea is that you know eventually we may have like basically a, a digital map in across the state of uh of locations like that you know if some you know 
with the internet, there's a lot of opportunity to broadcast our assets, and we haven't fully realized that yet. Um, but I think we can, and I think a lot of, you know, like I said, what's going on in Jacksonville is is a great initiative, and um, I think it's going to work out very well for them. And I'd like to see that sort of taken statewide. Um, and I think that a great way to do it is basically a digital, you know, digital map. There's a um, uh, over here close to where I live, and you're just going down a country road. I mean, it's paved, thank God. But uh, it, there's caverns in a cave over there. It's called Banger Cave. And supposedly Al Capone used to come there and 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 yes. the cave. I don't know anything about that. I mean, that's an excellent idea. But yeah, it, exactly. There, there should be a you know little metal sign up saying Banger Cave, supposedly the hiding place of Al Capone. People can go there. They can take pictures. You know. And people, when they go tour these places, they aren't just going to, most of them aren't just going to look at it. Most of them are going to go and they're going to stop by a restaurant or a gas station, or they're going to spend money in that community just by going through there. And, uh, you know, it, it just shows that we have something to do. It just shows that there is something to do nearby there. There's some kind of, you know, it's not nothing. There's no, you don't have to just sit at home and, uh, you know, find stare at the woods like you, you can there's interesting things out here it's a great state we just um i don't think we're marketing it the best that we should be is it because um of the people we continue to send to montgomery i think some of it could be because I, I think some of the reason that maybe i think about things like this and people are starting to think about things things like this is it shows sort of a generational difference um, or I, I, I think <laughs> I, I don't. I don't mean to be cruel, but I, laughed. I said I, I was talking about something the other day, and I, uh, I said something about millennials, and I said, "Oh my God!" I was just turned into my father. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the the truth is that younger people, I, I think, are very well aware with uh, are very well aware of how you know, especially if they're the sort of entrepreneurial minded, they understand how to market these things and if you've lived like i've lived and you know obviously i remember a time when i did not have internet or a cell phone or anything but i'm on the brink of that you know basically anyone four or five years younger than me and on they're not going to grow up in a time with the internet not being a a very significant part of their lives uh unfortunately that's just how it is now you know i mean the social media you know, the communi massive worldwide communication things of that nature are are commonplace that's just part of the world now and it all happened it's all happened very quickly you know the economy the society overall you know it's all changing in terms of how we do business and and how we communicate even and it's changing things very fast and i don't think everyone is necessarily taking the time to to react to it or to um to fully understand how it can be utilized in our favor. And I think that younger people, um, and I don't mean younger as in, and I'm young to the, the extreme, I think, in, in what I'm saying. I think younger people even, you know, probably around your age, have a have a decent, or are starting to realize all of the opportunity that this affords us now. You know, what, what we can do that we weren't able to do before. So. You, you mentioned, uh, um, change and uh i was talking to somebody earlier uh about how it seemed like i went to bed one night and, and the, i woke up and the whole world changed i mean uh I've, i got 
introduced all these different terms like uh, gender fluid and uh, 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 then somebody told me I was a cis man an insult and I was like what is this is you identify the gender you was born with I didn't need a term to tell me that yeah yeah that's how far is this going to go that they're I mean this going to be pushed down our throats uh, that I mean I don't even know what this stuff means anymore so I think that at the federal level I don't think it's going to last much longer. I'm really thinking that 2022 is going to be quite the backlash for Democrats. I mean, we saw what happened in Virginia. And, yeah. you know, I, I think a massive part of what was happening in Virginia is, well, you saw it. You saw Terry McAuliffe say at the debate, you know, parents shouldn't be deciding what's taught in the schools. And he was referencing not only critical race theory, but there was a story from the Loudoun County school system, which is, I think it's in the top five biggest school systems in the country where they had a, a student who uh, identified as a woman. He was a, a, a boy, he was a male student. Um, and he went into the, the bathroom and sexually assaulted a, a female student. Um, and the school, yes. co- and the school covered, covered it up and they sent him to another school where he got into another incident. And uh, when that broke, I mean, I think that woke a lot of people. It, it definitely woke the people there up to the fact that okay, these people aren't necessarily looking out for your child's best interest. As terrible as it sounds, the and I don't mean the, the teachers or the faculty, I mean the administrator. You know, the board, these boards of education out there that basically act as if they just get to decide what your kid learns, how they go to school, what their school is structured like, without any consideration from the public. Um, you know, that upset a lot of people. And the backlash to that was severe. I mean, you saw people that did not vote for Trump, that definitely voted for Joe Biden, switch to the Republican ticket and vote for um, Glenn Young King like that. You know, as soon as as soon as they realize that, okay, I'm losing control of the basic, you know, basic things like what my kid's going to to be dealing with at school, you know, what they're what kind of environment they're going to school in, that really uh, shook a lot of them up. And I think 2022 there's going to be a massive backlash to it. Um, but if there isn't, I at least can say confidently that at the state level in Alabama, and I hope, but I feel pretty confident that we will not be seeing any of this pushed down our throats, at least in law, at least in legislation or from a policy standpoint. Now, culturally, it's a whole bigger, whole, whole, whole other set of problems uh, that we're going to have to deal with. But, you know, at the public policy level, I think that we're we're safe in Alabama. And we saw the backlash to the, the transgender athletes um, in the state, you know, or people trying to compete, you know, boys trying to compete against girls and uh yeah i I don't think there was much i don't think there was much division over that i think we were pretty unified in how how we all felt about it Uh, and at least like i said in the from my public policy standpoint well yeah i think you're right that i was uh culturally yeah yeah, i don't know because i I didn't even know that it happened because i was talking to somebody today about that i said and what's going to happen the first time somebody's sexually assaulted? And I didn't, I, didn't, I guess that up pretty good. I'm surprised you know, that there wasn't more heard about that. I think, you know, the only, sorry, go ahead. Well, go and ahead. I was saying, I was talking to, um, I was talking to somebody, the guy the other day, he's 24, 25. And I asked him because I just found out uh, through a, the, a friend I had a, <laughs> he had a, a trans uh, I don't know if it's the word called, a trans woman was his girlfriend and then I was like then I had to figure it out I was like what yes yeah, so, well you know that, that, that's not straight and, you know he was trying to make an <laughs> argument 
and then somebody told me they said well if you're a um uh, if you're not a uh, bigot then you will understand i'm like no this is not how this works okay oh, hey, i'm not a bad person i'm not calling you ma'am i'm not calling yeah. you sir yeah yeah well the words have meaning and um you know th- my policy is always that i have not yet ran across a transgender person that i know of that has asked me to change my my word use because of them but you know words have meanings um now i'm not going to be a a jerk to someone if someone's respectful to me i'll be respectful to them but you know in the political world if i'm if i'm discussing with someone about whether a man can be a woman then you know that's a completely different issue than than just talking to someone in a polite way uh, on the street you know if someone changes their name like bruce jenner he became caitlin he was still a man um but he wants to be called caitlin now i would call him caitlin i'll be i'll you know you want to change your name you can change your name uh i'm not going to be i'm not going to go out of my way to be a jerk but i'm also not going to change my word use to reflect your inner you know inner identity uh you know we shouldn't change the entire you know whole institutions in society because of how one person views themselves or what their what their idea of their their true identity is you know people identify as lots of things and another that I transformed I mean I, I consider myself a retired 65 year old CEO so you know I want a pension now yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's I mean to a certain point it's like there's no limit to it you know it to to the extremes that that have the, their philosophy and another thing we're, we're sorry go ahead well, what I was going to say is, and sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, because uh, I nearly showed. What, what I'm afraid of is what's going to happen next. Because I was already seeing this on YouTube. There, the next thing is um, um, you're going to have the doctor saying oh, it's normal for uh, pedophilia. You know, this this is just uh, normal. And you're going to start seeing that push soon. I, I guarantee you. Guarantee yeah. you. Well, I I have no doubt that there are people who are going to use this, you know, this this new culture at least amongst the left of acceptance and everything to justify terrible things uh because that's that's just what happens and i have no doubt that just like whenever they start letting men use women's bathrooms everyone said eventually something is going to happen like you said um and something did happen we know it happened because it happened in the loudon county school system in in the school system which is the worst place for it to happen also it's terrible that any student would have to go to school worrying about these things um and it'll be the same way, I believe, with, with what you're saying, with with people who are you know, pedophiles or you know sexual, I don't know, offenders, trying to say that it was a medical condition, it was it's a mental disorder. You know, I'm just something is wrong with my brain. I can't help it. Well, that doesn't really matter. That's that's sort of irrelevant to the the question, you know. And it's just like people said with gay marriage and it's a completely different issue but people said you know eventually someone will be wanting to marry their their dog or marry an animal or something of that nature and you know i'm i would be incredibly shocked if there has not been an attempt somewhere in the country during these very confusing times of someone saying that they are married to their animal you know like they're i said yeah i said the same thing somebody's gonna come out and try to marry a dog or a cat and 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 I still believe it's going to happen eventually too. Um, you know, I was I wasn't surprised when the the you know, because the the so, uh, debate 
it's been going on for gay marriage since God the 90s. Um, you know, it started off on the civil unions, and then uh, I think Massachusetts was the first state to pass it statewide or something. And but then you know, I just knew it was all downhill. But it seems like that's when all this transgender stuff popped out too. And I know I probably just spended half the alphabet by uh, saying that, but I mean. It, that, it seems like that's when all this stuff popped off and you started seeing it everywhere. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's that, I think the two are certainly related in that all of these big civil rights movements that we're seeing now, the, you know, and, and I don't mean the civil rights movement, the legitimate one where they wanted voting rights. I, I mean the, and, and desegregation, I mean the, the new modern social rights movements, the, the social progressives. Um, all of that, I think, really started in, in the 60s when you had, you know, women's studies became a very big area where you know all of a sudden we were discussing the patriarchy and feminism what is, what, what, sorry go ahead i'm sorry i didn't mean to hit you up. What, what is women's studies women's studies is uh it's basically like critical race theory um but for women uh for gender it basically looks at everything it's a way in which you study the world from the perspective that there is a patriarchy that dominates society and all of society is somehow serving the patriarchy or is structured in this way because it benefits the patriarchy um it basically the like i said the gender version of, of critical race theory where all of society is is white supremacist and everything is structured to support a a white supremacist you know social structure um and both of them are just, just nonsense realistically yeah, but the original women's rights movement and, and feminist movement was a very legitimate and noble cause of you know, and it was it was women's suffrage. It was, you know, women want to be able to have basic rights that men do. And also, you know, it was very intertwined with temperance, the temperance movement. The idea that, you know, all these men shouldn't be drinking so much. They need to come home and be decent husbands. They don't need to stay out getting drunk constantly. And it just made such a wild swift where it went from, you know, our husbands need to come home and be quality husbands to women need to reject marriage because it's serving the patriarchy and it's an institution meant to trap women uh you know it just is completely insane and you know that sort of probably was the first big one we started seeing become prominent in terms of being taught in the universities because the universities also i'll, I'll say seems like we want to point to where all, a lot of these problems began for our society it was in the universities in about the 60s and 70s um but you know that's when you also saw critical race theory really starting to be developed people like drake bell um we're doing a decent amount of writing. And then you also saw, uh, you know, um, intersectionality, which that came a little bit later, but you know, that's that's really where we're at now. The intersectionality, you're probably not familiar with it and you probably wouldn't like it too much. It's, it's, but it's a, it's a legal theory, is at least how it started out, was a legal theory that someone can be a woman and they are victimized in society because they're a woman. Or they can be a, um, a, uh, african-american woman and they're victimized in a different way than a regular woman or than a white woman because they are african-american as well as a woman well then you can take it even further and say that you are a, a trans woman and an african-american and you're victimized in three different ways so it's basically like a victimization hierarchy where the more victimized groups you belong to the more I guess virtue you have in society or the more disenfranchised you are and you couple that with sort of this whole this this culture that incentivizes victimhood or rewards 
victimhood, um, being a victim, then, you know, basically we end up in a position now where being a victim in many ways in the culture is easy and, uh, and beneficial if you're in a more, if you're surrounded by progressives, if you're in a social circle that is a progressive sort of far left circle, then they look at all that as, you know, oh, well, if you're a, a, uh, homosexual African-American woman, then you are, you know, you're terribly victimized by the society. So we need to try to help you as much as possible. You're the one who really needs all the assistance. It was very, you know, it was a pretty terrible system. And that was also, it's kind of the, been the Democrats, you know, campaign strategy or political strategy moving into, moving past Obama. Um, in 2012, they thought that they would never lose another election again. They thought that they could just combine all of the minority votes and all of the women votes and all, all of these different groups. And like I said, they thought that, that was going to just keep them together forever because, you know, the, the country is, is becoming a, a larger minority country. Um, and they thought that would just guarantee electoral victory until the end of time. And they were wrong, uh, it, as we've been proven. I mean, Trump made gains with every single demographic except for white men. So over from 2016 to 2020, and he scored I, the highest. I was, yeah, I was so odd that he lost he lost among white males in that group and every other one he, he gained. I, was, yeah. I thought there was... Um, I mean, even the, the LGBT key group uh even that letter <laughs> there's well there's there's actually like i think there's like four or five more that i left out it's just too many for me and there's something else and you know i just call i, I usually finish off with lmnop <laughs> yeah yeah just just finish the alphabet um but uh, but even that group trump carried 28 percent you know in which I thought was very, which could really swing a race among uh, black males, 18 to 33, he was polling like at 30%. And yes. you know, that, that was unheard of numbers. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially for a Republican. I mean, he did better than any other, to be the such a such a vicious racist, you know, as they say. He, uh, <laughs> I'm joking, of course, but, but he carried a, a massive number compared to Romney, McCain, Bush, yeah, I mean, any of them, any other Republican nominee, so. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, he never was he was the vicious racist. You know, he became president uh, or started. Yeah. and then you know, uh, <laughs> one of the you know, target over the, uh, you know, he was build the wall, and it's like, I told, it's so it Trump, it's illegal. And it's like you gotta understand, this is not about race or about keeping brown people out. It's about no. Legal. It, it seems pretty simple that we would have some sort of structure at the border, especially if that border is seeing a whole lot of criminal activity come through it. Like, it really just seems like common sense providing for the basic defense of the country. Um, but, we you know. Go look at this, and I want to make, don't make sure I don't put it wrong. Uh, the original thing that was all Trump about, about the border was, this was a bill that Bill Clinton signed, and then Obama built the cages. Oh, yeah. Trump, Trump, Trump. And, and, Tell me the Democrats will go. They went so Bill Clinton today. I mean, I know you put him born in. He would be. They would be calling him a rhino. I mean, that's yeah. He, yeah, he, he would be would, in that wing. Yeah, he would be a. They would be calling him a rhino Republican because he, he is nothing like what today's uh, uh, Democratic parties would. And I, I don't know. A friend of mine, he's he's a retired um, 
professor in New York University, and he describes himself as a, a classic liberal. But he sounds more when you talk to because he says he can't identify with the Democrats either. Uh, no, and a classic liberal is is going to be, you know, if anything, I think most people, if they say they're classic liberal, uh, you can almost accurately predict that they would describe themselves as a libertarian when it comes to politics, just because that's where I think a lot of people that are classically liberal fall. But you know, the Democratic Party is not the party. They're not the party of openness or or tolerance or anything like that that they would preach. You know, really, the the best opportunity for you know, getting in and making inroads into a into a new party politically is the Republican Party. I mean, we're the ones. The Republican Party is the ones that is electing record number of women for the Republican Party um, to Congress, and uh, you know, having having a lot of you know increases in in minority communities. Um, we had excellent results from in 2020 in the, the Miami Dade area, where there is a massive number of Cuban uh, immigrants. I mean. You know, frankly, the Republican Party looks like going forward, it could very liably, very possibly be the big tent party that everyone's going to. Um, the Democratic Party just, they want people that sort of will just listen to what they're saying. Listen to the, the woke demands coming down from the top. You know, they, they aren't interested in people who, they aren't interested in freedom of thought. You know, they don't tolerate. Go ahead. So I've been saying for years, um, that the greatest untapped voting resource out there that nobody can, can get out is 18 to 24 year olds. Oh, yeah. How's going to get 18 to 24 year olds out? How's the Republican Party going to? I said, how is Jacob going to get? Oh, how am I going? Okay, sorry, sorry, cut out for a second. Um, well, one thing that you know I have an advantage of is I'm I am in that demographic. So uh, you know, a lot of those people, I sort of understand what their concerns are going forward and that's why i keep emphasizing expanding broadband internet access to so many of these areas because a lot of these people especially if they're from rural areas i mean they know what it's like to, to grow up where cable doesn't run down your your road you know i mean that's for the first 12 13 years of my life you know where i lived at and it was it wasn't that it was incredibly rural you know i was out in in ohatchee um but you know we could not get cable internet down our street so uh, we we had no internet access, and if people are, are growing up like that, they understand how important that is to them in where they live um, later in life. So, you know, being able to recognize issues like that, and also like small cell technology, um, which is something that is not talked about enough. Uh, small cell technology is basically it can be put on power lines, and we can run it, you know, down down the power lines, and um, it'll expand uh, cell phone access, or cell phone service. Um, without the need for building entire towers um, and a lot of rural areas could really benefit from that um, because I mean like I said no one wants to live or move or you know, buy a home where they have to stand in a certain spot in their house and hold their phone to the ceiling to get cell phone service you know people just this is part of life nowadays use Wi-Fi or I will not or it'll drop um, yeah I'm not that far. I'm 30 miles from Birmingham, but I have to. Have, but my other friend, you know, he's got cell phone service that works fine. But yeah, I have to use Wi-Fi or the phone will drop. And, yeah, you know, it's very frustrating. Of course, I mean, I, you know, I can remember back uh, before we ever had them, and I, uh, I don't know how I would live with you know Adam now. Um, you know, my, I was like 16 or 17, and my parents they had first one in the city up there living in Utah years ago, and it was a 
what what the old flip used to be that it was huge. Well, I thought I was cool and riding around on this thing and talking. Well, yeah. they had wrong charges back then, and they got oh, hit like yeah. about a yeah. fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> Jeez, wow! So, that one got taken away from me. Um, yeah. let's see. I, I think that's about all the questions I have for you, uh, Jacob. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? One last thing, the one pitch to get the voters out to. Um, get I, I think the only out. thing, I think the only other thing we haven't really touched on is, is might be abortion. Uh, that's, oh, that's right. Abortion, yeah. Um, you know, and, and this is a pretty quick one. It's an easy answer for me. I'm I'm pro life, um, a hundred percent, and you know. I don't know if you're aware of this, the youngest baby in the world uh, by the Guinness World Records was born in UAB, um, just got declared to he live long enough. And it was a twin that was born at 16 weeks, if, if I'm not mistaken, which is just insane. That uh, The reason I mention that, though, is because as time goes on and medical technology improves, the argument for abortions becomes less and less uh, defendable, in my opinion, because so we're like gonna- a machine almost i mean yes uh, at a certain point terminating a pregnancy really isn't incredibly necessary a childbirth is the least dangerous now that it has ever been in all of history um it is easier now it is less strenuous on the uh, on the mother we have more resources hmm? Sorry. or endangerment of mother's life so the reason that I typically just say we're going to draw a straight line. Um, endangerment of the mother's life is such a small proportion of incidents, and uh, and, and this is something that you know Ben Carson he always uh, mentioned. I, I remember that it was really interesting to me when he brought this up because I used to years ago I was a bit more you know open to, to arguments like you know rape, incest, endangerment of the mother, but you know it's such a small proportion of uh, occurrences that it's a danger to the mother's life, especially now um, with the medical technology we have, that it yeah, doesn't, so seem, doesn't seem like we should be really shaping policy around that, especially when it comes to, you know, from my belief, I, I'm a Christian and I, I do believe that it is a life, it is a living thing. So I think that making the decision to end the life of, of, a, of a baby is something that we should consider very, very carefully. I don't think that we should allow it simply because in some instances there could be danger to the mother's life now again those instances occur but i don't think we should necessarily shape public policy around it and with rape and incest you know it, this is this may sound cruel but you know frankly something wrong happening to you does not justify you murdering an innocent um i would i believe that the proper you know the proper response to um your rape in society would be having the rapist castrated or even killed if they are if it's a continual issue with a certain individual i think that we should just have be much more um we should, we should be much more aggressive with combating crimes like that or with handling crimes like that you know that's not one of those we can rehabilitate someone issues typically uh, i don't i don't see that as i think that is a you know you are a, a threat to society and you should not be a part of society um so you know, it's. I think that's sort of the answer to that. And again, with incest, you making bad choices, and I guess it could be an accident. I don't. I, I guess some confusing situation could occur where someone. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I. I guess there could be some incident. I know who my sister is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most people do. So 
So, you know, I guess, it's, you know, but I guess in if we're just considering all scenarios that could happen, that still doesn't, isn't to me, it isn't enough to justify the taking of a baby's life. And because I do consider it life and I consider abortion murder, I have to just draw that heavy line and say, I, I can't support it. And by the way, that's what the Texas, the Texas abortion law, it banned all abortions. It did not make exceptions for rape or incest. So this isn't just, you know, people act like we have to have those exceptions. Like, okay, well, we, we need that. Well, no, we no, we don't necessarily. I mean, there's a, you know, it's, if it's murder, it's a pretty simple argument to me. If it is murder and I consider it murder, but if you consider it murder, then it doesn't seem like we should ever really allow it to be acceptable under the most extreme cases, maybe, but like I said, that's a case by case situation. And on the public policy level, um, I think that Alabama's values are, are pretty clearly aligned with, uh, you know, respecting the, the rights of the fetus to personhood. I mean, that's that's a pretty strong stance to take. I mean, not, not a lot of people would be, um, would, would, you know, would draw, you know, would be that strong on it. Uh, you know, the, the incest thing, I, whenever I've asked people, I always say rape or endangerment of his life because I've left that out because, you know, if you're going to do that, yeah. then that, 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 that that's your, good. yeah. Um, the um, endangerment of mother's life, I've often had a problem with because then you're deciding, you know, you're, you're trading. Yeah, and the rape, you know, that, making somebody live with it, that, you know, it'd be hard, you know. I don't want, uh, water, uh, to, to be fair, I don't want them to live with it. I, I do want, I, I think that adoption is, is fully possible, is fully possible. And, you know, I also think just really quickly, I think there's a lot we can do to make adoption a more streamlined process in Alabama. Um, it uh, is nearly impossible to adopt at this point. And, uh, yeah, unless you have considerable time and resources available and you know i understand there's a lot of a lot of it is to protect the well-being of the child but at the same time you know when you have people that are qualified parents that have raised children to adulthood successfully that have done well in their careers that are professionals that can pass background checks that are upstanding members of the community when you know and i've talked to some of these people personally and when they say you know we were going to look into going into foster care maybe even adopting children but the the amount of cost, the amount of, of time you have to have available and commit to it, you know, you have to go to a number of parenting classes and you're you're not really, you know, I don't mean to, to disrespect the DHR or anything, but you're not necessarily treated um, the best either. They're incredibly harsh on you and and uh, as, as they should be if you're not doing what you're supposed to, but most of these people are trying to help out and they're trying to help a child. They're trying to take on extra responsibility to give a child more opportunities and uh we should be finding ways to make that easier to do we should be finding you know rather than more difficult um you know because if we're going to be in a state that takes a strong stance on abortion and it seems like the electorate does support whether it's the hard line that i draw or it's a, a you know a six week you know line you know when we can when we can there's a heartbeat or something of that nature um regardless where the line is if we're going to have that strong stance then we need to uh, we need to improve adoption and streamline that whole system. I've got the stance that I would have to draw is um, I, you know I don't think uh, somebody says it's six weeks. Yeah, you know I don't think I want this kid. I'm gonna go have it aborted. But, you know that's that's you know you, you know I'm, <laughs> that's well I guess I'm gonna draw the hard line at. I don't like to see it used as birth control. No, no, that's a is a 
is a very cynical argument you can make. You know, it can it can lower population. I even heard one person they said to me that um, you know crime rates dropped uh, in a number of places after after Roe versus Wade, and and uh, I said that is a terrible argument. Are, are you saying we we go into crime-ridden communities and like, take all the children? I mean, because that's that's the seems to be the logical extreme of what you're saying. You know, I don't think simply because crime dropped or poverty might have dropped somewhere that does not justify what is essentially mass murder of fetuses and in many in many ways so and there's been no telling how many millions i forgot what the count is now of, uh, oh it's an in an inordinate number especially considering america's population is at its lowest level of growth and i'm pretty sure since uh since around the great depression i think we're at our lowest level um and while that may you know may may not seem like a big deal it's an incredibly big deal whenever we get you know if we aren't producing enough children to, to take care of the older generation and to keep the work uh, workforce full um whenever all of these people get out of the um sorry uh whenever older people start retiring and leaving the workforce if we don't have enough young people to replace those that are leaving the leaving the workforce then we're going to end up with a worker shortage um so you know the population decrease isn't even a good thing to begin with. If anything, we should be having more having more children to, you know, keep the labor force full. But, you know, it's a whole other issue. So, well, man, I appreciate this time, Jacob. Um, I don't want to keep you more time. Have you on here for an hour and plus minutes? So, but there's taking though. But um, thanks for coming on, man. I'll have this probably take me a couple hours to get it edited and posted it. But as soon as I do, um, I'll um, teach you a link to it. Okay, I really appreciate it. And uh, again, you know, I really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, it's been a good conversation. And anytime you want me to come back on, you know, I can talk about these issues for a while. So, well, I'll tell you, each person I've talked to is uh, the race goes on. If they want to come back on um, and give a three minute ad, like a commercial or what, you know, feel yeah. free to do it. Especially as, you know, as it gets closer to life. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, thank you. Hey, you have a nice night, Chris. Good day. So, um, 